Good morning. The hymn writer says, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. As we meet together this morning, whether here in church or online, we praise God together for his unending love for us and all that he has given us. As it says in our reading this morning from Romans 10, for it is by faith you have been saved through grace. What a wonderful truth we have to hold on to this morning as we come to praise God together. Um, and at this point, I'm going to ask Lynn to come and bring us our reading this morning. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Before we begin, we all know where we've been the past couple of weeks. Uh, let's, I'm just going to do a quick recap in a couple of sentences for those who've been here or not been here, or those who've forgotten, um, that we are going through Romans at the minute. Over the summer, we're following through the book of Romans, and in our, my three weeks here, we've been looking at uh, going chapter 8, 9, and 10, and just a quick recap of that. First of all, we addressed in this time when Paul was saying to the Jewish people, he was, he was really condemning them over these couple of chapters over how they practiced their faith as they restricted it for themselves and had certain views on how the correct way to come to the Lord was that he was saying, no, now that we are after the crucifixion, this is for everyone. So we had a week of saying, actually, this is for everyone. Everyone is welcome. Uh, there is nothing that can hold us back or restrict us from going to be with God or having that relationship with him. Uh, whether they were Jew or Gentile or whatever background they were, that this was for everyone. And then last week we had in, in our time, we looked at how Paul's heart was actually the people he was really, his heart was breaking for. 
wasn't for those who were necessarily getting it uh, wrong, but for those who were yet to know the love of God and to know him. And actually how our hearts should break for those around us who don't yet know the Lord. So before we get into this chapter 10, let's just begin with some time of prayer. Heavenly Father, may you open this word to us. May we gain an understanding this morning. May you speak through my lips, not words of my own, but through your words. May our hearts be open, our ears be open, and may your word and name be known in all this land. Amen. Chapter 10 begins with uh, a little bit of, we missed out at, at the first five verses that aren't in our reading this morning. But in that time, Paul scolds them for mistaken zeal, for, for actually having passion was good, but it's in the wrong place, misdirected. Um, and that is very much my journey when I first came to faith. So I thought I'd share that a little bit this morning as we begin. I grew up in a Christian household, yes, uh, and that was going to church was very important to us. I've shared before that it was a choice between one hour of church or two hours of housework. Bribery was what got me to church, or, or no, bribery, maybe threats, I'm not sure. We'll not, we'll not dig into it too much. And then at 11, I went away. I remember I was in, in first form at school, and we went away on a residential with our church. All the teenagers went away, and at that time, at that weekend, was really the first time I remember making a decision for myself of saying, this is something I want to commit to. This is something I believe is true and want to commit my time and my life towards. And that was the first time I made that decision. It wasn't the last time I had to say that to myself, but it was certainly the first time I made a commitment uh, to follow Jesus for myself. Uh, I, I know it was a decision that was made because there were many of my leaders and peers who were praying for me, uh, and they were uh, seeking me to make that decision without pressuring me to, uh, but I know that in, in their prayerful support that I made that decision. And then I went back to school after that weekend away, fired up, ready to go, and boy, did first form of Wallace High School know about it. I went in aggressively. Sir, cheating on their French test, they've got a cheat sheet in their pencil case. It's not how we make friends necessarily, but it was the right thing to do, so I did it. I went in, uh, it was just whenever I was later on in, in, in school, uh, around 16 or 17, one of my friends described my initial approach to Christianity as militant. Um, it was a forceful decision that I went in with. You must do the right thing because of this and that and the other. Um, didn't set me up great in school. It, it, <laughs> you imagine the kids at the back going there cheating on their tests. Didn't make loads of friends at start. Uh, and so I struggled for a while at school, settled in. And for a while, that I blamed church for it. I was like, the reason I got bullied at school was because I was a Christian. That wasn't the case. But it was because of my approach. It was because of how I handled it and how I spoke to other people. And so for a while, I turned away for faith. Just said, no, this has nothing to do with me anymore. I don't want to do with this. Um, and I made it very known to the rest of the school that this was my decision. That I was around 15 or 16. I wanted nothing to do with church anymore. And I wasn't a Christian anymore. And could I get away from all that instead and uh, part of me still worries when people think of Gareth Campbell that they imagine uh, the Wallace High School, the people who know me from school picture me at 15, 16 and not who I am today because uh, I made lots of decisions that said against that and then I'll, I'll catch up to the next bit later on. 
because actually that brings us into where we're going. That actually Paul is critiquing the people here, saying passion, energy is good. The zeal and fire you have for God is great, but we just need to direct it a different way. And in this, in this passage we're looking at, in these chapters uh, that we've studied for the past three weeks, and all of this is Paul telling the Romans off, in his, in his, or telling the Jewish people off at this time. That he's, uh, he is scolding them, he is telling them off, but he is doing it with scripture and not with scorn. That he is doing it by giving them passages from their scripture of love and of trust and of not just by saying, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this. He's not standing there with a megaphone saying, you're all wrong, repent now, or here's the consequences. He's bringing them scripture, and he is saying, here this is with love. Here this is using the words of your law that you know how we should be responding. And throughout our reading, everything he said, if, you're, if you were following along with it in, in, in your blue Bibles, um, there's lots of quotation marks. And every time there's a quotation mark, that's not Paul speaking, that is scripture speaking. That's him going back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. That's him going through uh, some scripture that we don't necessarily have in our Bible, but was known as, as uh, writings of the time that were known to people and that we can still go back and read and that is there for them, giving evidence and power to his words. Because there was lots of rules for a Jewish uh, man or woman of the day to get access to God was about how well you followed the rules. And there was three types of people. There were people who were really good at following the rules, like the, the Jewish leaders. There were people who were really bad at following the rules, like the Gentiles. And then there was us in the middle that were, we were okay at it. If we just changed one or two things, we might get a better relationship with God. And the Jewish leaders told you what you had to do, told you if you were doing too much work on the Sabbath, if you were preparing a meal on the Sabbath, that wasn't good enough, and you'd change and do this instead. And it was all about these rules and regulations that you had to follow. But instead, Paul comes and brings to them and says, actually, when this word was brought to us, it wasn't about following the rules. It wasn't just about having to follow them because it talks that God's law is not inaccessible. For many of them, the only way they could hear the law, the only way they could hear scripture was from a Jewish leader to stand up and proclaim it to them. For them to have access to a Bible, I, I'm not trying to prove how holy I am, but I'm not sure. I can't count how many Bibles we have in our house because we have lots of Bibles. There's different ones that we got as a wedding gift or as an ordination gift. I got a Bible or I got my first Bible whenever I, when I finished P7, my school bought me a Bible. The kids got Bibles for their baptism or their christening or there might be a version that I want and I bought that Bible. We have access to scripture. I, I, I read my Bible on my iPad or phone the most and I, I have more translations of the Bible in the English language than there are languages in the world. That we have access to scripture in a way that we can't even comprehend that the people of this day hearing this message for the first time had. For they were listening to their leader read it out as a oral tradition and that is how they learned it. And they learned it as laws that they had to follow. But instead, it's brought to them in a different light here. 
in a different light, being told that in verse 6 to 8, if you're welcome to follow along as I read them again, but the righteous, that is by faith, say, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the deep. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verse 12 and 13, if anyone wants those references. Um, For this is to bring Christ up from the dead. But does it say the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart? That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. This was a message that scripture was accessible. That many times people were taking, Jewish leaders were taking Deuteronomy chapter 30, they were taking verse 12, and they were taking verse 13, and it's all about who gets into heaven or doesn't get into heaven and where are you going to go, and that was the priority. What happens next? But actually we're brought back to the now. What happens now? In verse 14 in Deuteronomy, it it tells them that the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. For the word of God is accessible to all of us. It It is accessible for all of us to get. The issue was that for people in this Jewish tradition, the biggest issue they had was accepting help from others. The law was all about what you did as an individual. What you did, what you sacrificed, you and your family. But this morning, we learn that Paul comes to them and in his letter, he says, accept help. I can't look at my wife as I say this because this is my greatest weakness. I refuse to accept help. I think it's a very Northern Irish thing at times. Maybe it's a male thing. Maybe that's being sexist. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a younger sibling, but I refuse to accept help. Uh, Whenever we bought our house five years ago, we moved in and I didn't know how to attach the washing machine to the water mains. It was too big a pipe. It needed step-down valves. I didn't have the right valves. I didn't know what to do. And I went to my dad and said, can you help me with this? Dad's very handy. He's um, uh, he's, he's, He's a manual laborer. And his response was, you never ask me for help. Yes, I'll come and do it. And he came round and it broke his heart that he couldn't. And we had to get a plumber out to do it for us. But that's my weakness, and I can acknowledge that I don't ask for help. And it's a weakness that many of us have. And when it comes to our faith, we need to learn to ask for help, to be willing to accept that help when it's offered to us. Because we are not asked to do this alone. We are not told to do this by ourselves. We must ask for help. I left my story when I was 15 or 16 and wanted nothing to do with church whatsoever. Uh, at this point, I had, uh, actually, no, I'll leave that brother story out. Uh, I, ju- I had just broken up with a girl who was a Christian and actually didn't want anything to do with Christianity in any way. I did later marry that girl that I broke up with, but that's a story we'll tell after church and that's fine. Um, Sarah and I have different versions of that story. But I wanted nothing to do with church. And a, a youth leader at the time came to me and offered help and offered support and offered a little bit of advice. And we met together and we talked about things and I vented my frustrations and how I felt things were and how they should be or shouldn't be. And 
misconceptions that I had and some of the things I, were, I was frustrated about was right and some were wrong. And we journeyed on that together when I was willing to accept his help, willing to ex accept his advice. In Acts chapter 10, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, as he comes to struggle with scripture, turns around and asks someone for help. It is only through that Ethiopian eunuch asking for help that scripture extended across Europe. It started with him saying, I need help learning to understand this and do this better. So what is it that stops us asking for help? What is it that stopped these, these Jewish people of the time asking for help? For them, it was tradition. Maybe it's the same for us. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's shame. I don't know what it is, but there are things which hold us back from asking for help. But those things which I list aren't things which are godly. In fact, if we think back to the story of creation in Genesis, whenever we hear of sin coming into the world, as sin enters the world, the first thing we hear about that, that, that Adam and Eve recognize is that they are naked, that shame is an acknowledgement of their sin. That actually, if we are ashamed to ask for help, it's not really a godly emotion that he wants us to be feeling. If someone here has it all figured out and doesn't need to ask for help, please teach me. <laughs> please teach me. Because we all need help. We all have our strength. That what, that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful, is that we can teach each other and learn together as we grow. That we must learn to teach one another. So the first thing we know is that Paul commands people to accept help. That the law is accessible when we ask for it. For it is in our hearts and in our mouth. But if it is in our hearts and in our mouth, then what is it we proclaim from our heart, from our mouth? What is it we know within our hearts? And that is quoted very simply in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That Jesus is Lord. So what does it mean for us to say Jesus is Lord? Well, Lord was a word used in this time relatively frequently. People would have known it. But Lord was the equivalent of sir for a knighthood is too close. It's, it's, sorry, it's not close enough because there's lots of people knighted as sir. This was more emperor, ruler, someone set aside as unique and special. That this is declared as someone who is set apart as worthy of worship. But the word in between is what's really important. That Jesus is Lord. That for them, if a, if a Roman emperor was to pass away, they no longer were Lord. Someone else would take their place. Yet we believe that Jesus still remains as Lord. He is Lord and continues to reign. So as we proclaim his word from our heart and our mouth, we must know that he is Lord. He is unique and set apart. And he continues to be so. For he is not dead, he is risen again. We are not just celebrating Christ the martyr who died, but Christ who rose. Not Christ who was defeated, but Christ who won and conquered all. And if we truly believe that in our heart, then we proclaim it from our mouth. For if we know it in our heart, 
that is what comes out of our lips. And that's really hard for the Jews. So again, it comes back up with Scripture, not with scorn, but with Scripture. In verse 11 and in verse 13, it goes straight to Scripture and says, As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And that is a hard lesson for the people of the day to learn. That was a really hard lesson. And again, it's being reiterated time and time again. That everyone must know. For how can people believe in the word of scripture? How can people learn to know the love of God unless they see it? How can they come to know it unless they see it in your actions, in my actions, in what we do, in our hearts, in what we know and how we act, is how we proclaim and how we move and how we act. That we must know it here to do it outwards because that is how people learn and see the difference in our lives. But how can people believe unless they hear? For they also need to hear the words proclaimed. They must know that these words are proclaimed also. And verse 14 which is up on the screen, sums this up for us. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that is where we get to with our challenge. For we support one another in what we do. We ask for help in our community together. We grow together. And then when we grow together and know that together, we must go out and proclaim it. For last week, we learned that Paul's heart breaks for who? For the people who don't know the Lord. And it is us that goes out and carries that message. It is us that takes it with us and carries it. It is us that have the responsibility to carry that in our actions, to carry that in our words, to carry that in, in how we, we do all things. When I was 11, I thought I knew it all when I was 11. I thought I had the right way of doing it. And that was to stand and say, don't cheat in your test because, because God loves you. When I was 15 or 16, I thought I had it all sussed. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I had all the right answers. And that was that I didn't need God. Let me tell you, when I was, when I was 21, I thought I knew it all as well. I think that's the case at all times in our life. But the older I get, the more I realize that I don't know it all that I really, really don't know it all, that we have lots to learn from one another as we ask for help. But what I do know is that we are the feet who carry God's word. We are the voice that carry it. And verse 15 says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of actually going out to proclaim God's word. For that's how he looks upon you when you put that shame behind yourself and aren't afraid to talk to people about coming to church on a Sunday or going to a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night or being seen in our community litter pick next Tuesday night. 
that there's no embarrassment or shame in that, that as we go out and do these things and talk to people, that it needs our words and it needs our actions. It needs both of these things. In my work, we deal with lots of mental health issues, lots of mental health issues. And so we put all of our staff, not, not just through their first aid, but through their mental health first aid. One of the issues that comes up quite a lot, uh, the, the biggest killer of men before the age of 30 is themselves. It's a massive issue uh, within, our, within our community and in our generation. Um, and we're taught in how we speak into that. And the instructors stand at their front and they say, never be afraid to ask someone if they're considering this. Never be afraid to do that. Always ask the question. We think it's a taboo question that people know that they can read between the lines, but always ask the question, are you feeling like this? Is this something you're considering? Because it's only when you ask the question that you get the answer and can deal with it. And the same stands true for us this morning. We can stand in our workplaces, we can stand in our families, and we can stand with the people around us and think to ourselves, they know I'm a Christian. They know where I go on a Sunday morning. They know what I believe. They don't need me to say it. They can see it in my actions. We need to go further. We need to not be afraid to remove our shame, to be willing to speak that to the people around us to be willing to say that to those people, to be willing to communicate that in our words and in our actions. Because the only thing back that, hold, that holds us back is our shame. It's the only thing which holds us back. The first sin we saw was shame. Don't come in your birthday suits next week. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that sometimes our shame and our pride hold us back. Ask people for help. Ask for your support. These people around you love and support you. We have felt love and support over the past year. And we're, we're the newcomers. We're the blow-ins. We're, we're the ones that uh, next week's our last week. But we still feel that love and support. For we have that around us. And we never be afraid to proclaim it. And we all, I struggle with this too. We all struggle saying it out loud. And I'm going to share. I'm going to be vulnerable with the last thing I say. Which is this. The part of the story I leave out of me coming to faith is the person who really inspired me in that was my brother. He was the one three years older than me. He was the one who prayed for me and uh, prayed with me. And whenever I left that meeting to try and run away and hide and not become a Christian, he was the one that, that followed after me down a football pitch that I literally ran down to get away from, from Jesus. He was the one that brought me back and inspired me and supported me. His heart's somewhere else now. He doesn't have a love for the Lord the way he used to. And I really struggle with that. And I know that he knows I'm here. I'm going to his, he's hosting lunch for the kids today because uh, it's been their birthdays and we're going to his house. And I'll turn up with this. It might be tucked away a wee bit more. And he knows where I am. It's still hard to talk to him about it. It's still hard to bring it up. It's still hard to have that conversation. I know it's hard to break through that shame. But I'm going to try and we're all going to try to ask for help from one another, to know that we pray and support one another, and to know that our job is to bring God's love for how beautiful, that's how God looks at us, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor that it is to serve you. The honor that it is to bring your word to our little world, our little communities, our sphere of people that means so much to us. May we never be afraid to ask people around us for help. May we never feel shame to proclaim your word or to speak of your love. May we never feel that pride holds us back. Father, may we know your spirit with us, granting us strength and courage in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. So we leave this morning uh, with our closing benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.